Hi Ray, Goblin's Henchman here. Just a quick message to say it's good to hear your voice back on the uh, airwaves as it were. Um, yeah, and that's it. Cheers fella. Bye. Thank you for that sentiment, Goblin's Henchman. And for all the others out there who have contacted me to say congratulations for getting back onto the mic and that they appreciate uh, my show and my focus on zines. And I look forward to doing this for a long time. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to Plundergrounds Weekly RPG Zine Podcast. I'm Ray, and I'm joined by Evil Jeff of the Minions and Musing Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how are we doing, Ray? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're recording on a Friday, so we're looking at a nice weekend here, I hope. Um, although it's, uh, we were just discussing how hot it is in both of our locations, so it might be an indoor kind of weekend. Uh, Jeff, you do a podcast called Minions and Musings. Can you give me a quick pitch on on what that show's about? Basically, it's just me rambling off at the mouth. Um, just different little musings, OSR thoughts, 5e thoughts, gaming with the Minions. Uh, and if I get a hold of product, I review it. And I'm, I'm going through the BX Companion at the moment, comparing it to the Rules Cyclopedia. The BX Companion was a rule set that was thought about originally in the original BX stuff, but never got written because then Metzner got in and revamped the whole thing. So this is somebody else that came in and said what he thought it should look like. His rule set was put out 2009, thereabouts. So I'm just like, hey, you know, and that's the whole purpose of it. Could you use this companion uh, rule set to do the level 15 to 36, or should you use the rule cyclopedia? How compatible are they? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting comparison because they started from the same chassis, right? So, uh, Moldvay and Cooks, basic and expert, uh, when Mincer took over that and sort of revised them, as I understand it, about the only thing he did with the rules was to add some kind of teaching components, right, uh, to to the early stuff. So, basically, where they departed is when he started on uh, what, what was next? Masters? No, basic expert, companion, masters, immortals. Yeah, right. that's it. So his last three books um, then got all, all five of those books kind of got met, merged together in the rules cyclopedia. And so you're comparing what's basically those extra three books to the extra book uh, that would have been published for Mold Bay Cook Basic Expert, which which is interesting. Any significant eye openers so far? You can't port some of the character classes straight over. <laughs> the Thief is totally... And everybody that has Rule Cyclopedia knows this. The Thief class is totally nerfed. Uh, mm. Your percentages are changed tremendously. So it doesn't fit in there. But if you're Jason Connolly, you don't care. So There you go. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about a zine called In the Shadow of Tower Silver Axe. It's a sandbox adventure created for use with the old school essentials and other OSR games. In fact, it has stamps on the cover to that effect. Um, it was written and illustrated by Jacob Fleming. So this is uh, quite a bit of work from one person. It's 64 pages, uh, five and a half by eight and a half inch book, um, full color. Uh, the cover is a, a really striking image of a young warrior facing down a giant skeleton. So it's, it's kind of a classic style painting. And if you got the Kickstarter version, uh, the zine came with an art card that had the painting without the title text over the top. Inside the book, the illustrations are mostly black and white, aside from a full color map and some little heraldry shields. Uh, the map is pretty cool. It's a topographical map, which is interesting. You don't see that very much. 
It covers a region roughly 30 by 48 miles, and it represents an impenetrable valley uh, with a tower at the center of that valley. But uh, if you, you know, when you get into the first couple pages, it'll tell you that the booklet contains nine dungeons and five settlements. So it's, it's a, as Jacob puts it, a sandbox adventure with a lot of material in it. You can get it as a PDF through drivethroughrpg.com. I didn't check the price, so I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But it seems to be sold out in its physical form. You might watch the Exalted Funeral site because I believe that's where it was selling through. But as far as I know, it's not in print right now. Now, uh, this went through the Zine Quest 3 Kickstarter. Did you buy it through the Kickstarter, Jeff? Yeah, I got it through the Kickstarter. Right. So you got the fold-out map and the art card with it. Um, It raised over $12,000 from about 700 backers. And uh, this was another really well-run Kickstarter. Start to finish, there were 13 updates over something like 90 days, 96 days from the date that it was funded to the delivery. So very fast turnaround. I paid uh, $19 for the PDF plus print combo. And I think I'm well satisfied with the quality and the quick delivery. Um, Were you happy with the the communication and the speed and the production details? Yeah, yeah. Now I only paid the $8 for the PDF. Okay. uh, I pretty much do most things PDF, but I did that. And I really think that this was probably one of the better run Kickstarters out there for the simple fact that it was supposed to deliver in July. And before the end of May, pretty much every backer had their physical copy. Yeah, he shipped he shipped the last book in mid-May. So yeah, it is it was really well run. It is expensive to buy these things in physical form, but I found last Z, uh, Zine Quest that when I bought things in PDF, I just threw them in a folder and never really got around to them. But the physical ones, when they come in, I tend to pay a little more attention to them. So even though I'm paying more, I feel like I get more out of them. But uh, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I think I might. I think I would probably have wanted the print version of this now that I got it, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm perfectly satisfied with the P and more than satisfied with the PDF Okay, and all the digital stuff that you get with it, which you got too, you know, all the maps mm-hmm. and so forth, the PNGs, etc. And speaking of that PDF, the fact that he also did something that I don't think many others do. He did it in single page format, but then he did it in spread format. Mm-hmm. Now you tell me if that's the same there, whereas the odd number pages are on the left-hand side and the even number pages on the right-hand side. Yeah, that's that was strange, I thought. I've seen that with a couple zines. Um, that's just one of those things that, like, uh, you know, is indicative of a independent publication. They're not really, they don't really care about, quote-unquote, the rules, right? Uh, so, yeah, it's it's even pages on the right. But the great thing is you get this spread, so when you open up and look at any of the content, it's all opened right there. You don't have to flip a page. They call it the, uh, the control panel layout is kind of the phrase that's been used for this. Oh, okay. Which means that if you're looking at a dungeon or something, you're trying to get everything on the spread, on the two-page spread, so that you don't need to uh, flip back and forth. And even in the PDF, then it is that makes it more important that you have the spreads PDF too, which is nice. So this zine is advertised as a sandbox setting. It rem- it reminds me quite a bit of Keep on the Borderlands in that it's a classic town dungeon and wilderness setup. Oh, yeah. So And that's kind of exactly what you want for starting out with, with a group. Um, it, it says it's a low-level adventure, but it quickly suggests a party of five with retainers for survivability. So 
uh, I, I think that's just sort of true of, of OSC and BX games in general that <laughs> you don't expect to make it through uh, with your original characters. Yeah, definitely. I think looking at it, I was saying, you know, your minimum should be six, but, mm-hmm. you know, five with retainers, four with retainers. Yeah, definitely that. Did I, and I didn't remember it. I looked, it did say cleric would be one of them that they really wanted to have. I don't remember that it specifically said anything about party composition. Okay. I just, I don't remember. I thought, I thought it was something in there. I mean, I think uh, there's an obvious reference here. You've got a giant skeleton on the front, right? Yeah. Uh, when you start reading, you realize there's a lot of undead. So a cleric is definitely going to be something worth having. There is a lot of material in this zine. When you sort of cracked it open, how did you get into it? Was there one thing you started with, or did you just kind of go front to back? I, I started front to back, and by the time I got to the uh, locations in there, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me go back and start looking at the map and start making some sense to some things there. Yeah, I think that was an advantage of the physical product, which is that it came with a fold-out map. And I'll tell you that the, the poster map, it, its colors aren't quite as good as the map in the book. So I actually prefer the look of the map in the book. But what the having the fold-out map did was when I first got the zine, the first thing I did is pull out the things that were tucked into it and open them up and look at them. So I looked at the map first, and that gave me kind of a 100-foot view. So then I would suggest, uh, I mean, I kind of wonder if he shouldn't put the map in the front of the book instead of the back. But um, I would suggest anybody that picks this up, you know, spend a few minutes, read the introduction and then spend a few minutes with the map, kind of get in the relative places in your head. And also pay attention to how the map is numbered because it's a little different than I think some people might be used to. Uh, And once I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, now I understand it. But it, it threw me off to start off with. Did it feel like it was backwards to you? Like it was flipped you know, right to left instead of left to right? In terms of the way things were explained, sure, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, you've got a lot of things on this map. So you've, you've got roads with mile markers, which I appreciate. You've got topography. I mean, the map is really nice. Um, I like it quite a bit, actually. Very much so. Looks very... It looks very believable too, in terms of if you're if you're a stickler for geography. I don't really care, honestly. But <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean it's a fantasy game. But some people don't like that stuff. Uh, they don't want any rivers running uphill or anything. So he promises a lot. He delivers a lot. Is it too big? Is it just big enough? How do you feel about the the scope of this thing? I think my answer is it depends upon the DM. Me, for what I do, it might be a little much, but. You know, I would say some people might be like, oh, you didn't give me enough. Yeah. I think when I compared it to Keep on the Borderlands, you know, that's, I always think that that's just such a classic module from the standpoint of a great place to start. It has just enough territory to explore, you know, a little bit of wilderness, a little bit of dungeon, a little bit of, uh, well, caves in that case, but, and a little bit of like a castle or a town. Uh, so I think it's perfect in that regard. I will say this, he's trying to pack so much in 64 pages that some of it gets glossed over a little. Yeah. So when he gets down to details and writing, I think it's good. The thing I like least about the zine is the thing there's the most of, which is the dungeons. Now, the maps are great, but the room descriptions are extremely perfunctory. And mostly it's just listing of monsters and treasures that, you know, come right out of the OSC manual. So, you know, I think from that perspective, maybe he could have you know used his space a little bit better. But it is a 
a really good baseline uh, for a GM, you know, to add to, I think, to kind of make it your own. Yeah, there wasn't really any dis- enough description of the features of each of the dungeons. You know, you know, if it was a cave, it's one thing. But when you start talking about the other locations, not enough description, a base description, really, of what the walls would be like and so forth. I, I go back to B1, you know, in search of the unknown. And it starts off by telling you what the dungeon walls, even before you even get in there, what the dungeon walls look like, what it smells like and everything. So you could go ahead and lay that in there. So when there's something different, now we can tell everybody, oh, yeah, there's something a little different here. Yeah, this is a book of data. It's not a book of impressions. So you need to be able to do that, you know, as a GM to overlay that. I'll give you an example here. This is a couple room descriptions. And uh, by the way, the the sort of big bad there's a there's a central character silver axe actually uh, you know in the name of the title i almost missed where he was because he's just like one line in one room description and i'm like oh that's where he is uh yeah so i, I that, that kind of stuff frustrated me a little bit so here um number 30 the flagstone below the bottom is the step is trapped the stairs descend into the center of a 30 by 50 room there are doors on the east and west walls and a burrowed tunnel through the north wall uh 31 there are broken crates containing food much has gone to rot 32, the door to this room is magically locked. There's an elaborate keyhole in the center of the door, which requires the key found in room 15. The room contains a large ornate marble chest listing of treasure, right? So it's, it's very perfunctory. And maybe that's because he's trying to fit it all on two pages, right? Like these are essentially one page dungeons, a bunch of them. Yep. Yeah, that's probably a good assertion there. And so in the beginning and the end, at the end, there's some handouts, which are kind of interesting. And then in the beginning, you have um, some description of the communities, which I think is good, like the Dwarven community that was originally warring clans that, that you know, uh, melded together. And then I, um, if, if I were going to pick something that was my favorite thing in this, it would be the, uh, the, the Golithak. Uh, they're kind of half giants uh, with one eye, and they have a, uh, a religion and some other things that make them kind of an interesting group to have in play. They're almost a background race, but they're, but I could see doing a lot with them. Did you have a, a part that you thought was your favorite? Honestly, it came down to the, the the whole thing itself. There is no time crunch here. There is no obligations that you're forced to have. So adventurers could pick and choose whatever they want. They could get in there and after a bit be like, nah, we want to go somewhere else. So there's nothing that's you know forcing you to stay here unless you know the GM railroads you in there for some reason. Yeah, I like that too. I, I would say that there's a um, the, the background story is that there's this new bad influence within the woods at the center of this where the tower is located. Right. I'll try not to give too many spoilers, but it's kind of plaguing the surrounding communities. And I could see, you know, two kinds of campaigns here. I could see players just being very mercenary and kind of keeping to themselves and raiding things, or I could see them getting involved in the local politics of the different factions. Uh, and allying with the elves or the dwarves or even the Golathak. And, you know, that it does. There's a lot that could go on here. There's absolutely no prescribed story. It's I wouldn't say it's a blank canvas because there's already so much there. But in terms of a story, it's a blank canvas, which is great. Yeah. The the way the elves are portrayed here, that how they will interact with the party and so forth, is different than what we normally get in most games. So... That is a refreshing thing as well. Mm-hmm. Now, that may not be for your game, but who says you can't change that? Yeah, I thought he did a really good job with the culture. So I, I kind of like the first bit of the book there where he's describing 
know, how the Dwarven community came up, how the, you know, what's going on with the Elven community, that they were the keepers of this tower originally, um, the Golathak. He has a neat setup, right? Like lots of things could happen, but nothing's prescribed to happen. The art, it's really good, right? It depends on what style you like, but it's very clear black and white illustrations. I think well-drawn. My favorite drawing was on page 34. It's got what looks like a maybe a giant termite or ragadessa or something attacking a group, and they've run into this cave. And my favorite part about it is down in the foreground, there's a, a spearman who's like hiding behind a rock. You can sort of see him shaking. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I don't want any part of this fight. What really sold me was the cover. If you've heard me before on my podcast or even see me talk about stuff in uh, the audio dungeon discord, I don't spend money easily, but that was, is, this is one of those that I kept seeing it in my mind. I was like, I like that front cover. It's drawing me in. So he did a good job, but you know, inside um, page 46, which is the Golathak, and it's uh, one warrior that's up on top of the little, outcropping of stone but you see the three moons back behind right up over to the left of that of this creature up there it, i like that as a rather evocative thing to have in there yeah it's a night scene too which is not easy to do in black and white yeah right so it's a nice thick book it's it's a thick card stock good quality i know you, you're not looking at the physical copy but it's the printing is really clean the edges have been trimmed. I mean, this is kind of on the high end of zine quality. You know, it could easily set on a shelf, I think, in a uh, gaming store and and not be embarrassed by things around it. So I appreciate it for that. Good, good production values, good art, a great baseline location uh, site uh, with some interesting facets. But in my opinion, would take some work from the GM to really bring it to life. Um, I think the first thing I would do with it is... I would vary some of the, the monster encounters because there's a lot of repetition among the monsters. I would um, probably add, like I said, some sensory details, maybe scribble them in the margins or something like that so I can remember to, to describe some of these places to make them feel different from each other. And I would probably vary the treasures. There's too much just plus one sword, plus one dagger, plus one shield. Now, you, you know I love counting things, right? <laughs> I told up all the... Uh items in there if you start off with a party and go through there basically you'll end up with 71 plus thousand gold of which 32 thousand plus is in gems and jewelry 12 scrolls and then there are 35 items 11 of them weapons 10 armor five rings four potions and then four other magic items and Unfortunately, it's all kind of like those things that starting parties wish for. Yeah, it's it's very generic in that regard. Now, th that's good in some senses because it's obviously put there to help them, uh, you know, reach the final encounter or be, what am I trying to say, functional, be to have an effective final encounter. But I would like to, I would like to have some more flavorful things, you know, some more legendary items. Even if they're just, even if they're not that powerful, if they just do weird things, like I was reading uh, Knock Magazine, Knock One, uh, and I forget who had written the article, but they were talking about interesting magic items that aren't aren't necessarily powerful just in and of themselves. You got to figure out how to use them, and one of them was a bag of endless rats, and I thought, okay, 
<laughs> like that just given a player that would amount to so much like they would do so many interesting things with a bag of endless rats wouldn't they much more so than a plus one sword which it, it ultimately just becomes a mathematical uh, notation on your character sheet well i mean there's a crystal ball in there mm-hmm. the only other one that which took me for a second and is because of the OSE style of listing things out. There is a sword in there that's magical that also has the ability to do charm person. Yeah, an intelligent weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say intelligent, but I'm going to have to guess it is intelligent. I, I'm going to—I have to go to my BX, uh, excuse me, my OSE advanced rules and look at it. But yeah, that that was in there. I thought that was a little flavor. But you're right. I, it, that's an awful lot of magic in there, but you know, if we're saying five characters, not all of it is easily discoverable. Some of it's hidden behind, you know, yeah, secret doors and things. Yeah. And I think I think it's all placed in the sense that you you don't expect maybe the characters to literally crawl every dungeon in the site, right? So they're gonna. It's more likely that they're gonna get some mix of things, maybe a third of that treasure, you know, in terms of magical items. I don't know. It depends on your group. Maybe maybe your group like turns over every stone. Well, if you tell them how much money is in there, roughly, <laughs> they might do that. I mean, what is that? Seventy five thousand. That's that's a funny idea. Um, I, I come back to knock again for a minute. One of the things that was suggested by one of the authors was to make your planning, uh, make your preparation public, meaning like set it out there in front of players. And you think about that it would be an interesting thing to do to players to say like, okay, you know, somewhere in this book is X thousand bits of treasure, you know, th this number of magic items, whatever. So they can kind of keep a scorecard, right? And they'd know if they've missed some things, they would know it. Yeah. I don't think that would be bad. I think that might be kind of interesting. I wouldn't do that with any of the old modules, but new stuff or... Actually, I would do it with old modules. It's a little metagamey, but it is kind of cool. I do like the bits where uh, you have a, a dungeon where something's discoverable, but only if you only if you pull the right knobs or and it, nine maybe eight times out of ten characters will walk right by it. And as the GM, it's kind of disappointing to know it's there and have it not be discovered. So th that would be one way of getting around that would just be say like, you know, even if you just named a couple of the items and go, Hey, there's a, there's a crystal ball and there's a an intelligent sword in here. Um, you know, good luck finding it. And then watch them, watch them uh, feel up every wall in the place to try to, you know, check all the secret doors and everything. The other thing is that not all of the gold is discoverable. There's probably about 7,000, that you actually have to do certain things for individuals to get. So once again, you're not obligated to do it. It's just, if you happen to come across these individuals, you might be able to obtain this extra reward. So yeah, it's not all just, it's not all just finding the secret doors, right? It's Sometimes not all just finding it. Yeah. Uh, NPC interactions, taking jobs, those kinds of things. There's a lot of material here. If you were just starting an OSC game, this would be a pretty good place to start, I think. Grab this and then, and then to, you know, flavor it up a little. Add some, add the ramen spice packet to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have to tweak it for the world that I've created. This doesn't fit into it effectively, so I'd have to rework some stuff 
Is that because of the three moons and the way the races are portrayed, or is it something else? The rate, the way the races are portrayed. Uh-huh. Well, also the 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 history back behind the world that I created. Okay. Uh, you know, there there's this wouldn't fit into it effectively, but I I I probably could figure out a legitimate way to kind of jury rig it in there. Instead of elves, you could make them something else, right? A conclave of druids, or you could. Uh, change it to a different species entirely or you could just say it's like i mean you know monoculturalism is a thing in in games you could you could sort of step outside of that and say well not all elves are the same right this tribe of elves is completely different than the elves you're used to yeah because i honestly you know the world that i created does have three moons oh well there you go that's not really a problem there (laughs) yeah no it's just the uh you know whoever created all this that's not part of that that's harder to put into the lore mm-hmm. you know you know if you already have a world history now i've got to add this in there does that really jive with what you were doing etc i think that's the only part that you as a gm you'd have to figure out how you want to work with so if you were to recommend this zine let's just kind of a final thought here um who would you recommend it to like what kind of gamer do you think would appreciate this the most or get the most use out of it well Anybody. I, I don't think there's any, I couldn't say probably newer GMs that, that are trying to build things up, start a campaign. That's probably who's going to get the most traction out of this. Then, then followed by other GMs uh, who are more seasoned that are just doing something different. I think the only problem I see would be uh, dropping this into the hands of somebody who's inexperienced as a GM and they sort of expect all the stuff to be in the book, right? That they're just going to run it right out of the book. Um, I think that I think it could get fairly uh, could get boring, honestly, if they didn't uh, if they didn't sort of meld some of this material together or, or add to it themselves. Um, I think it could be a little bit rote, um, but I I do think, like I said, as a baseline, it's it's really rich. There's a lot of stuff here. Good good site adventure, um, great map, interesting factions, um, good dungeon maps. Right. And the dungeon maps are all, I didn't say this before, but the dungeon maps are all kind of like one session adventures. So it reminds me of Barrow Maze a little bit that way, uh, where you could you could sort of raid uh, a dungeon a night, probably with sessions in between for uh, getting from one place to the other and accepting jobs and, and some NPC interactions and things. But I think it's set up really well for episodic play. It's not like a mega dungeon, in other words, where you're you're going to get stuck in and be in the same dungeon for five nights in a row. I will say there's a couple of these dungeons that once you get in it, though, it feels like you are kind of stuck there. You know, you, you, once you get into it, you kind of have to clear it out. Uh, there was two of them that way. You mean in terms of kind of like one way in or one way out there, are they a little, little, little linear that way? Uh, not so much linear is just the accessibility. Uh, well, we're not spoiling anything here. One of the particular dungeons, the only way into it is through sort of a sinkhole, ah, right, or or the roof, or is it's buried, mm-hmm. um, and there's ways in there, but you're talking twenty, thirty foot down, right, is what the book says. So now you're getting in there, you're not getting out quickly. <laughs> Can't just run back to town at the drop of a hat, right? And then you know you got to remember there's undead here, so yeah, they're not playing here. Mm-mm. Yeah. We go ahead and tell them, yeah, there, there's level draining if you use that. Yeah, 
Right. That's true. Always contentious. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, I, I think this is a, was a neat zine to review. I was a little worried when we, we picked it out because there's so much material here. I thought, am I really going to have time to read through all of this? But it's a lot of it is, like I said, kind of data that you can absorb pretty quickly. And I think it's set up in a uh, formatted and laid out in a very usable way, very absorbable sort of way. So it was fairly easy to, to give it the once over and, and then uh, you know go through it a second time and, and absorb a lot of it. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share about this? No, I, I think we, we've covered everything. That, that really hits everything. Well, I've got you on here. Do you have any favorite zines that you've run across recently? Carcass Crawler is probably the other one that is my favorite. Yeah, we should talk about that one. That one came with uh, the Advanced Old School Essentials Kickstarter, and it's quite good. And I'm looking forward to whenever <laughs> Carcass Crawler number one, the actual one, comes out, because this one, that was number zero in there. One of the other ones that I got a while back, I wasn't as enamored with as I thought, but I don't know what I was thinking when I got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it is hard sometimes. I don't like to say negative things, but I also want to be honest about these zines, you know, and, and look at their both strengths and weaknesses. And there are some that just straight up disappoint. And I think for the most part, if I can't find much good to say about it, I'm not going to cover them on the podcast. I've only been that disappointed in one and, and out of recent memory, you know, in the last dozen or so that I've gotten, um, wh- which I thought was just really a pathetic effort. Uh, but most of the time, these are kind of passion projects for people. Like, I mean, the fact that this uh, guy, uh, was it Jason or Jacob? Jacob, uh, that he, you know, illustrated everything, um, did all the layout, did all the writing, did all the design. I think the only other credit in the book is for an editor. Yeah, edited by David Cameron. So this is, you know, this is all a one-man show here. Um, so it's no wonder that it has maybe isn't quite as well-rounded as a product that has a few people involved in it. Um, it's very focused. So that's I think that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. I think the only um, layer of the manticore, uh, that one, uh, Frank Turfler. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the other one that I, I I really like. I don't think I've read that one, so I may have to may have to pick that one up. Yeah, yeah. The other one that one that I don't care for was Low Life, and it was one of those that once I got it, I was like, wait a minute, why hmm. did I get this? Now, see, I just you know, got, I just I got just, that one, so I'm I'm waiting on the physical product before I talk about it. But yeah, that one looks interesting to me. I know you're waiting on the physical product. Yeah, and it I'll go ahead and say it. It's one of those that I got it and went, why did I get this? <laughs> and I don't know what my thought process was on it so yeah. i was a bit more disappointed about it than excited that's probably because of my own mental incapability <laughs> uh, no i mean sometimes um not every publication is made for everybody uh these things are by their nature a little bit kind of niche products uh they they are like I said focused and usually covering an area that isn't always covered and so this one uh, silver axe has going to have broad appeal because it's an adventure with lots of bits usable bits right you could take bits out of it and use it you could run the whole thing for many sessions there, it's it's got a broad appeal but something like low life which i believe is about it's just kind of more of a tool set or technical discussion of underground like caves and facets of caves am i am i getting that right yeah Yes. So it's, it's very specific and maybe, you know, after reading it, it's something that if, unless it just hits you in the right spot, 
um, you know, may not find as many admirers as, as something like in the shadow of tower silver axe. doesn't mean it's, it's a worse zine. It just means it's probably got a smaller audience and that's, that's fine. Actually, one of the things I like about zines is that, you know, there's always somebody who, <laughs> who wants that content and it's not going to be published by wizards of the coast. 